0: What a beautiful day it is outside, and how thankful we are for the refreshing rains that have come, and now a chance to be refreshed spiritually by being in the Lord's house. And we're so thankful for the presence of each one of you today. If you'll look at the very back of your program, there's an outline of our Bible study, and I'd encourage you to take that and follow along with us today. And we're going to be studying in Philippians chapter 3. So if you got your Bible, just open it at that place, and that's where we're going to be in our study today. I wonder, do you like secrets? Do you uh, like knowing things that maybe nobody else knows? If uh, you go to Walmart someday and uh, are standing in line to check out, you'll notice that uh, near the uh, front there, there will be some tabloids, and uh, they'll have some kind of sensational headline hoping to uh, draw you in, and you'll buy one. And supposedly what are there are secret things that are happening to people. Tom Cruise is about to get married. Kardashian is doing something unusual and on and on the headlines go and supposedly when you see that headline you'll think, boy I'd like to know about that. I'd like to hear what's happening to this one, whether it is a Hollywood star or a political uh, person or somebody who is a, a sports hero. And the idea is that that we like secrets. And so today what I want to talk with you about is Paul's secret for a great life. And I think he outlines that for us in Philippians chapter 3 as we study the Word of God together. So, if you got your Bible, let's begin. And I am going to tell you, first of all, he kind of lays some background here in the first 11 verses of Philippians chapter 3. And uh, he lets us know kind of what's going on in his life. And then he's going to really bear down in verses 12 through 21 to tell us what those four secrets are. Well, he begins in verse 1 with these words, and I'm going to be reading these words out of the New Living Bible. It says, "...whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do to safeguard your faith." He said, first of all, I want to tell you, whatever you do, don't ever get not excited about the Lord. Don't ever get so that you are just thinking about other things rather than thinking about the joy and what we have in the Lord. And he said, I'm telling you this so that your faith is going to be strong. I do not want you to ever give up being one who is rejoicing and excited about serving in the Lord. And he said, I tell you this because I do not want you to lose your faith. Now... Paul said, I'm excited to tell you this. I wonder, uh, are there ever, has there ever anything happened to you cause caused you to lose your faith in the Lord? Paul said, boy, whatever happens, I don't want that to ever happen to you. And he said, so I never get tired of telling you these things. Now, when you were growing up, did your parents just have something that they just told you again and again? And they told you so many times, it just kind of was embedded in you. I remember my folks, they always told me this, nothing good happens after midnight. So they wanted me to be in. And I mean, they told me that so many times that I guess I believed it, and I was always in, or most of the time I was always in by midnight. Paul said, what I'm telling you is something that I never get tired of telling you. Rejoice in the Lord. Be excited and happy that you are a servant of the Lord. And then he kicks in verses 2 and 3 with these words, Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and have put no confidence in the flesh. He said, I want to tell you, watch out for those dogs. Now, He was not talking about German Shepherds and Doberman Pinschers and maybe some other dogs that you might think of that would be guard dogs. But he is talking here about people who are the Lord's enemies, those who are opposed to those who are serving Christ. There's an interesting verse back in Psalm 22, verse 16, and David said this, he said, "'I want you to know that my enemies surround me like a pack of dogs.'" Now. That word dogs was used by different groups to distinguish them in Bible times. For example, dogs was a term that was used to describe somebody who was a male prostitute. That's over in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 18. And here he is talking about people who are teaching that unless you are circumcised, you cannot be saved. Or in Acts 15, verse 1, there was a group of people who were also teaching that. And Paul calls these people the mutilators of the flesh. That is, they think that the only thing that really counts is if you are circumcised and your flesh is actually cut. But he said, I want you to know that we are really the circumcision. That is, we are really the ones who belong to God because we are serving the Lord Jesus Christ, and we don't have any confidence in the flesh. And by that he simply meant, I don't think that I'm going to be right with God simply because of some kind of physical act that I have undergone, and that act he is talking about here was circumcision. And then beginning in verse 4 through verse 6, evidently there were some people that said to him, well, Paul, you're telling us all this because you don't know what it really is to be a Jew. And if you really knew what it was to be a Jew, you wouldn't be talking about people being circumcised and that not being something that's very important. So, beginning in verse 4, he said this, Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And then Paul said, I want you to listen to my resume. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. Paul said, I want to tell you who I am. First of all, he said, I am one who was circumcised on the eighth day. Now, according to the Old Testament law, that was exactly what God told people to do. Leviticus chapter 12, verse 3. On the eighth day, circumcise your boys. And then he said also to these people, I want you to realize that I am a circumcised Jew and not an Ishmaelite. Now, if you want to check what the Israelites did, Genesis chapter 17, 25, they circumcised on the thirteenth year. But those who were the faithful Jews, they were circumcised on the eighth day. He said, and I am of the people of Israel. Now, you may remember that Jacob's name was changed by God to Israel. And so the people who were of that generation and of that line... They call themselves Israelites. And he said, that's who I am. I am of the people of Israel. And then he said, I am of the tribe of Benjamin. Now you may remember there were 12 tribes. And one tribe was the tribe of Benjamin. Now that was a very special tribe. The first king of Israel came from the tribe of Benjamin. That was Saul. You may remember that Benjamin was the only one of the twelve who was born in the land of promise. You may also remember that when the nation divided in north and south, that the only tribe that joined Judah was the tribe of Benjamin. And you also may remember this, that as Benjamin, he was someone special to God. you remember the book of Esther? And Mordecai, who was the uncle of Esther, he was a Benjamite. And then it says, I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. You couldn't get any better than that. That's like saying, your family came over on the Mayflower. I mean, they go back as far as it was, and that's who I am. And then he said, I am a Pharisee. Did you realize that there were only 6,000 Pharisees in Israel? But they were the group of people who kept the law the best. They were the ones who meticulously kept all of the things that had to do with the Old Testament law. So he said, I am a Pharisee. And then he said, as far as zeal is concerned, I'm persecuting the church. Did you realize that the Jews thought the greatest quality you could have was the quality of zeal, or what we would probably call enthusiasm. And if you had zeal and enthusiasm, boy, in your service to God, you were highly recognized. There's kind of an interesting story back in the uh, book of Numbers, chapter 25, beginning in verse 10, about a uh, priest by the name of Phinehas. And the Bible says that the people of Moab had kind of infiltrated and given the people of God a lot of trouble, and Phinehas with zeal attacked the people of Moab. And God said this, because of your zeal, I'm going to spare the whole people of Israel. Zeal, that was the great quality. And he said, as far as zeal is concerned, I am persecuting the church. Those people that were serving Jesus, I with all of my heart attacked them. And then he said, as far as righteousness is concerned, I'm faultless. I did everything that the Old Testament law said, that's what I did. And then he picks up in verse 7 with these words concerning his life and his hope. But whatever were gains to me, I considered them loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I considered everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He said, I want to tell you something. All of these great things I've told you I did, as much as you may think those are wonderful, I want to tell you, in comparison to knowing Jesus, they are nothing. What really counts in life He said, is that you know the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you ever go to a second-hand store and look around? Uh, I don't know why, but my wife sometimes likes to go and shop around and look at those uh, things over in the second-hand store like Goodwill or something. And uh, you find things in there that at one time people thought were treasures. And now they sell them for just a few pennies because what they thought was so valuable it really wasn't that valuable. And Paul said all these things that you think of as and we as Jews thought of as being so valuable when I found out about Jesus I found that those things did not really count like I thought they did. So Paul said now I'm going to tell you my four secrets for a great life. And if you want to follow these with me begin with me if you will in verse 12 and the first of these he says is this Not that I have already obtained all this or already been arrived at my goal but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me And if I understand what Paul's saying here is he said my aim is progress not perfection I'm not telling you that I've just Accomplish all the things that I want to accomplish, all the things that I want to do. And here's what he said. Not that I have already obtained all this, but I take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Perfection. Do you want to be perfect? Is that really what your aim is to be perfect? Did you know that there was a religious group in America back in 1845 who were known as the Shakers? They had come out of those who were Quakers, and they were called the Shaken Quakers. But people just called them the Shakers. They were led by a lady by the name of Ann Lee, and what she said is, We have got to be perfect. We cannot make any mistakes, do anything wrong. We've got to be perfect if we're going to serve God. And uh, she lined things up, and she would not let men and women have any contact with each other. If they came to a service, the men would sit on one side, and the women would sit on the other. And they did not marry, and so they did not have any children. But they were expected to just live a life that was perfect. Well, what do you think happened to them? They didn't last very long. Because we realize, you can't be perfect. Nobody is going to be able to just live their life and not have anything perfect. You know the Bible says, for all is sin and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3 verse 23. And somebody said, well, wait a minute Dick, is there not a passage that says we're to be perfect? And that passage that you may be thinking about is Matthew chapter 5 verse 58. And here Jesus said, be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. He said, isn't that what he's trying to tell us we ought to be perfect? Well, if you'll go back and you'll read that little paragraph there where that verse is the last one in the paragraph. What Jesus is talking about is about loving people. Not just loving some people, some people who are friends, but you go down the line, whether they like you, whether they talk to you or not, you be one that loves all of them. And that's what Jesus meant. He said, be perfect. You be one that loves everybody, even as the Lord loves everybody. He was not saying that you and I ought to think of ourselves as sinless people, because we realize we don't. You see, what you and I all depend upon is the grace of God. And Paul said, for by grace are you saved through faith, and it is the gift of God, not something that you and I earn, but that's the way that we're saved. But the thing we need to be doing is making progress. We need to be moving toward what God wants us to be. And that is, He wants us to emulate Jesus Christ. And so my question to you is, are you growing? Are you more like Christ now than you were? Are you progressing toward what God wants you to be? And Paul said, Now listen, I've not taken hold of it, but I want you to know that I am moving in that direction. And that's a direction I think that he wants you and I to be moving and go to as well. Well, number two, the second secret is found here in verse 13. And as Paul writes, he says this, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Paul said, I want to tell you this. This is one of my secrets. The past is over. Forget about it. Now, he said, this one thing I do. And I understand him to say, this is number one on my list. I am forgetting what is behind. Uh, Vine's Expository Dictionary of New Testament Word says that that word forget means to utterly forget. I mean completely. Just wipe it out. Do not let it be in your mind. I tell you, you have got to learn to be a good forgetter if you're a Christian. I did a Bible study one time with a young couple. And I have never been able to forget this for a couple reasons. One, this young couple uh, had not been faithful, and not been raised up, going to church much. And so uh, as I was trying to teach them, I asked the girl, I said, well, tell me about your family. Now, you may not believe this. She told me, I am one of 23 children by the same mother and daddy. I said, 23 children? She said, that's right. I said, Well, how did you ever feed them? Well, she said there never was more than 12 of us home at once. (laughs) Now, Can you imagine getting up and having 12 kids to feed every morning, school getting ready to start, 12 new pairs of shoes? And she was a lovely little girl. And so then we continued on our study, and I came to the end, and uh, I said to the young man, I said, Would you like to put Christ on in baptism and become a Christian? And he said, I can't do it. I said, what do you you mean you can't do it? He said, you know, I've done things. He said, I I just cannot do it. I said, wait a minute. I said, you're not going to be earning your salvation, but it's the blood of Jesus Christ that forgives you when you confess your faith and are baptized into Him. He said, I just can't do it. I said, let me ask you this question. What do you think would happen to you if you were to die tonight? And he said, Dick, if I would die tonight, he said, I'm sure I would go to hell. I said, you mean you think you would go to hell and you still will not confess your faith in Jesus and be baptized? He said, I can't do it. What the young man had done and what he'd been involved in, I don't have any idea. But what a sad thing to think that that there are things that you just cannot forget. And Paul said, I want to tell you, this one thing I do, I am forgetting what is behind. And if you want your life to be what God wants you to be, you've got to learn to forget. In 1958, uh, Ford came out with what they called the car of the decade, the Edsel. I wonder, how many of you have ever seen an Edsel? How many of you have ever seen one? Uh, Ford produced them from 1958 to 1960. And then they quit. I mean, the Edsel was a bomb. The uh, doors would not shut. The hood would not stay down. The paint peel, the transmission did not shift good. As far as I know, there was only one air case ever reported of an Edsel being stolen. I mean, nobody wanted that thing. Now... What did Ford do? I mean, here they had lost millions of dollars in three years producing. Did they just give up? Absolutely not. They continued, and now Ford is the biggest selling brand name of all automobiles in the United States. You've got to learn how to be a forgetter. Paul said, I am forgetting all those things that are behind. It was in 1962 that uh, Decca Records turned down a group from England who came over who were singers. And they said, we think a group of guitars is on the way out. And so the Beatles had to find a new record company. I tell you, you've got to learn how to be a forgetter. Now, Paul hated the church. And he hated Jesus Christ. If you want to turn back with me to uh, Acts chapter 9, verse 1, the Bible says Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. I mean, he hated Christians, he hated Jesus Christ. But then the Lord appeared to him and he learned about Jesus. And when he did, he said, What I find in Jesus is more important than all those Jewish regulations and all those laws that were given. Jesus Christ is above all and I have forgotten all those things that were behind. You know sometimes small things bug us as well as big things. Did you know that the U.S. government has a conscious fund? So that uh, if there's something on your conscience that uh, just bugs you, you can send it in or send money in and get that cleared up. There was one lady from uh, Colorado who sent into the conscience fund two eight-cent stamps. She said that she had uh, used two eight-cent stamps erroneously because she got a letter and they had not been canceled And so she used those two stamps again, and it just so bugged her that she had to make it right. There was a man that sent in a $100 who worked for IRS. I mean, excuse me, who sent $1 in who used to work for IRS. And he said the last day at work when he quit, he took two ballpoint pens valued at 50 cents a piece, and he just could not live with that because he had stolen that and he was wrong. I'll tell you what, uh, little things as well as big things can bug you. And Paul here had killed Christians. He had put Christians in jail, men and women. But he said, I want to tell you, what I've learned to do is I have forgotten it. I have put that out of my memory, and I will no longer allow it to be in my mind. And Paul said, listen, if you want to have a great life, What you've got to do is you've got to forget those things you've done behind and put your hope in Jesus and go forward with the Lord. Well, number three, the third thing he said, and it kind of ties in the last part of verse 13 when he says, "...but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus." He said, What I'm doing is, he said, I am straining toward that which is ahead. Now, that was a picture of a track man. And he looks up and he sees the finish line and he puts all of his effort and energy into getting across that finish line. He says, You know, you cannot run a race looking behind you, you cannot drive your car looking in the rearview mirror. You've got to have your sight set on that which is ahead. And Paul said, that's the way I'm living my life. I'm forgetting those things behind, and I'm straining toward what is ahead. Did you ever hear the name of Robert Ballard? In 1985, Robert Ballard defound the Titanic, where it was sunk off the coast of Newfoundland. And he wrote these words, My lifelong dream was to find this great ship, and for the past 13 years, the quest has dominated my life. Man, he said, all I could think about was finding that ship. You know what Paul says? I want to tell you about my life. I've forgotten those things behind, and I've put all of my energy into straining toward what God has for me in Jesus Christ. And I want to serve Him. And with all of my heart, all of my energy, that's what I'm trying to do, to be a servant of Jesus. And then Paul, as he wrote, he said this in verse 15, All of us then who are mature should take this view of things. That is, he said, if you're really a mature child of God, that's the way you ought to look at life. Forgetting what's behind and straining toward what is there because of the Lord Jesus Christ and living that way. Or in the book of Hebrews chapter 5 beginning in verse 12, the writer of Hebrews says, You know, you are people who ought to be eating meat and you're still taking milk. You're just learning the ABCs when you ought to be strong and healthy. And if you're strong and healthy, you are a mature person who has reached forward and is trying to become what God wants you to be. There's a little quote I picked up that I like from Langston Hughes. It said, Hold fast to dreams, for if dreams die, life is a broken-winged bird that cannot fly. You've got to have dreams. You've got to have that which is ahead of you, which you want to be. And what Paul wanted to be was to be like the Lord Jesus Christ and to let people as they see him, to see the Lord living in his life. And that's what he's called upon us to be and to do. Well, number four, the fourth thing he says is found down in verses 20 and 21. And he says, our citizenship is in heaven And we got to be longing for it. Here's what Paul wrote. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious bodies. Do you know why we have so many illegals trying to get into the United States? Because they see this country as the best place in the world to live. And they look at the United States and say, That's where I want to live, and I want to have a job, and I want to work, and that's where I want to be. Now, what Paul said is, What you and I ought to know is that we are people who are seeking to go to heaven. And what we ought to be longing for is to be there with our Lord and Savior. Right now, he said, we're waiting for the Lord to come so that we can be called up and so that we can be with Him forever. Did you ever hear the name of James Simpson? James Young Simpson was a a Scottish doctor, and he was the one who invented chloroform. And chloroform was one of the early-day anesthetics that people were able to use that helped them in pain. If they were going to have a baby, chloroform was given. If they were going to have dental work, chloroform was given. If they were going to have some kind of surgery, chloroform was given. And because of the invention of chloroform, He was able to uh, make the doctors and nurses and medical people have something they could use that was better than anything they'd ever had before. Chloroform, what an invention it was back in 1847. Now later, we developed other things that maybe are better than chloroform, but in its days, it was the best Dr. Simpson was uh, teaching a class one day of young people and one young man held up his hand and he said, uh, Dr. Simpson, what was the greatest invention you ever made or the greatest discovery you ever found? And of course he's thinking, well, now he's going to tell us about his discovery of chloroform and what a great discovery that was. But the young man was shocked when he said this. Young man, I want to tell you, the greatest discovery I ever made is that Jesus Christ is my Savior. I tell you, it gets no better than that. And you and I are waiting for our Savior to come from heaven because when He comes, He's going to change our lowly bodies into glorious bodies like the Lord Jesus Christ Himself has. What's something to look forward to that we're going to have that change? When my dad died, he weighed 105 pounds. He had earlier in his life weighed 200 pounds. My mother and dad used to uh, send me letters and uh, Each one of them would write part of the letter and my mother always had a beautiful handwriting but I got this letter and I mean it was barely legible and then my dad's part came in and he said Dick this is the last letter that your mother is ever going to write. Her hands have gotten so bad and her arthritis is so severe that she just cannot even hold a pen. She later developed dementia. But you know what I'm thankful for? To know that God, when Jesus comes, He's going to transform their bodies from that lowly, weak, physical body into a glorious, spiritual body like the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, as you get older, your body is not what it once was. And did you realize what good news that is? Because you see, that's the way the Lord is telling you, you're not going to last forever. And you better make some provisions, because this body you have is not going to be here forever. And as you develop pain, and as you develop weakness and sores, and things of that nature, realize that's just God's way of telling you. I've got something better in store for you. Don't plan on being here forever because you're not going to be. Because when the Lord Jesus Christ comes, he's going to transform our lowly bodies into a glorious body like Jesus. Paul said, you want to know my secret? Here it is. Number one, he said, aim for progress, not perfection. Don't think you're going to have to be perfect but just try to be one better and growing more like Christ. Number two, he said, the past is over. Forget about it. Don't try to live in the past. Number three, he said, realize that you've got a bright future ahead of you, and you need to be reaching for it. And finally, he said, number four is, our citizenship is in heaven, and we're looking for a Savior who is coming there, who's going to transform these lowly bodies into a glorious body like the Lord go home and read Philippians chapter 3 again if you will and you'll learn Paul's four points for a secrets for a great life that he wants you to have would you pray with me dear Lord we are so thankful that we have Jesus Christ as our Savior and to know Lord that more than anything else in this world Jesus is our treasure And, dear Father, I just pray that as we live our lives, that we will put forth all of our effort to be like Jesus so that we, dear God, one day will be able to celebrate with Him and all the saints around Your throne in glory. For this is our prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. We're going to sing a song of invitation this morning, and maybe there's a way we could encourage you. Maybe you'd say, you know, I'd like to be a part of this church, and if that's your desire, we would welcome you with open arms. Maybe you'd like to come today and confess your faith and be baptized into Christ, or if there's any other way we could help you. If you'd like to come, why don't you do it right now? We just stand and sing our song of invitation together. Come, let us all unite to
1: sing God is love. Let heaven and earth their praises breathe god is love let every soul from sin awake each in his heart sweet music make and sing with us for jesus sake for god is love god is love God. You sing that God is love How happy is our portion here? God is love, His promises, our spirits, cheer. God is love. He is our sun and shield by day. Our help, our hope, our strength and stay. He will be with us all the way, our God is, God is love. God is love, God is love, come let us all unite to sing that God is Come let us all unite to sing that God is love.